All right, welcome to the Sink or Swim podcast, episode number four. Number four? Number four. Oh, wow. We've done three whole episodes at this point. We're kind of deviating to a new a new segment or a new uh, topic, I it, guess. Yeah, it's called dun, 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 dun. Meet the Charter Class of tw- of Nova, of NSU, <laughs> Nova Public <laughs> School of Medicine, uh, NSUMD, Meet the Charter Class. We're starting with... Um, a very special guest, a one very, of our dear very friends. Very special guest. Uh, we'll get to him in a second. In a second, we got to introduce him. The most special guest. Yeah. The most special guest, soon to be Dr. Chase Labise. Let's give it up for Dr. Chase Labise. Chase Labise. Thank you guys so much for having me here. We're so excited to have you. Um, I got to say, when I started school, I thought, dang, Chase seems like a cool dude, and he has a really nice skincare routine. I wonder what it is because he's got nice skin. Avino. Is that what you Some use? Lotion. Yeah. Oh, wow. Every, Every night? Day. Every day. Every day and night? No. At nighttime, I use a non-SPF. Okay. Lotion. So he wears sunscreen. See, that's even, what sunscreen gets you, Mitch. I didn't even think about SPF quantities and lotion. So oh, it's very important. That explains. So Chase is one of our classmates in the class of 2022. He is uh, a good friend of mine, a good friend of Sam's. He's well-beloved in the class uh, he's a radiology applicant, which is uh, a you know big reason we had him on because we want to use this episode to talk all about radiology. And each of these episodes featuring a different member of our class will kind of dive into their journey towards being an applicant and now a successfully matched applicant of the specialty, which speaking of, we just finished match day. Yeah, and we all matched, um, which is exciting. Uh, it was the first match day ever for NSUMD. It was a very, uh, very prestigious event. The news was there. And hopefully not the last match day. Oh, jeez. No. <laughs> it should <laughs> not, not be right? the last match day. But if it was, it was a good one, you know? It really was. It was a good one. I remember Mitch getting up there. Well, you peeked at your envelope. Yeah, so the way we did it, just a quick recap, was they gave us our envelopes in like a little students-only room. You had the option of peeking at it, and uh, or you could just give it right back to them and say, no, I'm going to read it on stage fresh. Um, I peeked at it and kind of celebrated with my friends and then went down and told my wife, which is really cool. And then we read it together on stage. And Sam, you read it live on stage with Uma? I read it live on stage with... Um, the med school love of my life, Uma. Uh, we both decided to, we're, we were initially going to peek, just like you peeked. Which, by the way, let me tell you about Mitch's face when he found out where he was going to go. Um, it was like if he had won the Super Bowl or something. It was, it was, it was pretty delightful. Um, and then you gave a bunch of people a hug. I think I got one, too. I got a hug from a lot of people. You did? Yeah, it was pretty great. Yeah. It was a little weird. Thanks. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I read it raw on stage. I didn't peek, um, uh, and uh, it was quite, quite the, quite the shock. I would say, um, very exciting though. Um, Chase, what did you do? You didn't peek, did you? I chose to read it for the first time on stage, but I think I chose that because of my constant need for procrastination. That's beautiful. Okay, I'm the same way. What is the uh, what's the description that the local news? Unbridled emotion. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have that written down. I, I texted it to you. But they were like, uh, <laughs> like uncapped joy. No, unbridled you gotta do, emotion. You got to do it in a newscaster voice. Yeah, this you is... want to do it or you want me to do it? Okay. <laughs> I just thought it was such Raw a... Raw emotion, unbridled joy. 
That's just what these young doctors order. <laughs> <laughs> With like flashes of each of our faces in between the sentences. It was yep. beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, Match Day was great. I think most of our class is very happy. I think us three are very happy with where we ended up. Um, and yeah, it's it's a huge relief, I think, for all of us and for every medical student that matched. But yeah. I ended up at my number one choice, which I think is important to, you know, you there's we were talking about it during our last pre-match episode about the percentage of landing in your the statistics of people who land in their top three versus their number one versus their top five. Um, and we said that that number was around 42 percent to a chance at your number one spot. Um, so uh, I matched in my first spot. I matched my first spot. A lot of people did. Okay, a lot of people did. Pretty awesome. So if that gives any of you future listeners or current listeners any hope, it's possible. It's possible coming from an SUMD. Yeah. I mean, I mean that in a good way. It's yeah. a great school. Well, we're we're school. just brand new, you know, so nobody knows. But hopefully, we're going out there and, um, you know, making people know about and us. I think you're pretty happy with your results too. Oh, I'm extremely happy with my results. Yeah. I had the opportunity to do an away rotation uh, where I matched, and so. I think I have a pretty good idea that uh, I match with the right type of people where I can be uh, successful as a radiology resident. I'm excited, and consequently, you two are going to go to the same place, which is exciting. Yep, we're going to yeah. be, uh, cro- I guess, cross-departmental co-residents. So you guys can work together sometimes. Yeah. You can call them up and be like, hey, Chase, I need you to read this uh, you know, this x-ray for me. I, we're probably going to be on the phone. A good oh my amount. Gosh, that's exciting. I've already promised the first round of coffee to Mitchell and Nafisa. Wow. It's pretty exciting. Dang. So yeah, that you know, that was just a quick segue into match, but the real reason we're all here is because of soon to be Dr. Chase LeBeast. Yeah, tell us about your life. Yeah, we want to hear about I guess I know it's hard to Well first you, let's go like day like let's talk about Chase. Well that's what I'm thinking. Who I don't are you know, as a person? I don't know where the starting point is, the but you can determine point, that. Tell me about your life, Chase. Okay. Which is a very interesting life, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. I think it would depend um, on whose opinion you're asking. But <laughs> nah. <laughs> um, I think I can maybe start from the beginning. Yeah. So. Um, I'm not sure. Well, so I grew up in Miami Springs. Miami sort of, Springs, okay. If you guys haven't visited, it's sort of a small town in the greater Miami area. Okay, okay. Um, did my schooling in the small town, you know, larger Miami, before going to um, high school where I played baseball. Um, oh, that's right. Yep. And that's right. Um, I mentioned my baseball career because I think that played um, a large role in my journey into medicine, but also sort of my uh, introdu- introduction to um, nonprofit work and public health work. Yeah, and I think we've talked like a little bit about that in the past, but like if you could go into that, that would be. I will say for as young as Chase is, he has an impressive resume before coming to med school. I know. We, the work that he's we done, checked I'm out Chase's impressed. resume last night. It was uh, It's a nice little CV you got there, bud. <laughs> it's much better I than mine. I didn't even look at it last night. Like, I think we became friends on LinkedIn a while ago, and I looked, and I was like, dang, good for him. Yeah. He's doing things. Yeah, he's like a doctor. Yeah. Even before you got to med school, very impressive. Tell us about the stuff you've done. You said you guys are very flattering. So. No, this is all true. I am continually impressed by the people surround. I don't know how I'm here, how I get to be amongst you people, but it's fantastic. So in my senior year of high school, um, I used to alternate between pitcher and third base. Um, I had a traumatic brain what injury. What sport while, is this? 
Oh, in baseball. In baseball. In okay. Baseball. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so, go on. So while I was pitching, I was hit by a line drive in the head, which resulted in a traumatic brain injury. Um, it, months of recovery and, uh, you know, years of recuperation, but I think it uh, certainly was an impactful event. In my, I think it had an overall positive impact on, on my life. Um, so hmm. fast forward to past that recovery. Um, I had just started at the University of Florida and um, in – cooperation with my uh, girlfriend Nicolette um, we tried to craft ideas to uh, try to improve the safety of baseball uh, you know with relation to concussion and, and brain injuries and so uh, we got our introduction to public health sort of by just applying to uh, community grants offered at the University of Florida and um, we were rejected several times from uh, you know, from the grants. And I think that's one of the parts that gets left out from... Oh, it's, it's the most important part. Yeah. From you have to learn from your rejections. The CV says that it got funded, but it doesn't talk about the amount of times that it gets rejected. Yeah, you see the list of publications and posters and grants, and you're like, wow, this person's so successful. They've had such a... I mean, not that that says you've had an easy time, but, like, they've done all this good stuff. It must all be good. But there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that doesn't get on that paper. Yeah, you know? it shows resilience, right? Because for every, I mean, even when we, when we apply to med school, and I tell candidates this every at every interview day, this is going to be the year where you receive probably the most rejections you'll ever receive in your life. You'll get one acceptance, maybe a few, but it's, rejections are part of the deal. I think I've come to expect to fail five times for every success. That's, that's a pretty yeah. solid ratio. I yep. don't know if that's. Uh, I like that. I don't know if that's discouraging for Not for some all. people, but I think it just uh, um, people maybe underestimate uh, the amount of failure that people have before they can finally succeed. Whether it be, as we mentioned before, uh, applying for grant funding for projects or um, applying for publications. Yeah, and I think it's not. It's obviously not applicable only to medical students, but. I think as medical students, we all have like this shared experience going through the four years. And, you know, even on social media the past week or so, you see all these people matching to these programs and they're so ecstatic and their family's so like proud of them and happy. But no one's like documenting or sharing all the dozens or hundreds of, you know, just negative moments they've had over four years, all the personal family problems, all the, the negative stuff that went along with the good. It's all mixed together. And, you know. That stuff doesn't get published on a paper or shared readily except amongst your close friends and family. You're seeing the highlight reel. Exactly. Though I will say there was a bigger push this year to recognize those who didn't match. People tended to be more open about it on social media, at least in the larger medical community, um, you know, as a way, as a sort of rally cry to get more residency spots. Um, and I commend those people who are willing to put themselves out there uh, with that because not a lot of that's not a lot of people would be. Yeah, for sure. So you're mentioning you're in college, you're working with your girlfriend, Nicolette, and you had kind of gotten some grants and working with some nonprofits. So what kind of happened after that? I'm guessing towards the end of college. Um, when did you actually even think about medical school? Um, so I, th so I think one of my biggest pushes into medical school was that experience during the recovery of my uh, traumatic brain injury. How old were you then? 17. 
Okay. Let's talk Senior about that. Senior high school, that. you said, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's Senior talk year about high that. Um, because I think that's super interesting. I think everyone has either a moment or a series of moments over time that just kind of pushes them towards this career choice. And you sounded like it was more of a moment and maybe the subsequent recovery. So, yeah. So you took a, you said a line drive mm-hmm. straight to your head. Yes. Which part of your head? Uh, the right temporal side. Really? Okay. So, what happens? You, do you... I'm just trying to think about that. You were like a right-handed pitcher. You like you were kind of facing that way because you had just pitched, I assume. You Wait, you were the pitcher or you were at pitcher. bat? Okay, so you were at... How did it... How did you get... Oh, from the bat. So... so From the bat. That's a line drive, right? This is the okay. way I put it in context okay. for most people. The uh, mound is 60 feet from the batter. Okay. The catcher and the hitter both wear helmets. Um, however... The pitcher is also 60 feet away from the ball being thrown. However, by the time they finish their delivery, they're about anywhere between 55 and 50 feet away because of the length of the stride and the throw. Um, on top of that, whatever uh, speed you're throwing, whatever velocity you're throwing the ball, the uh, hit back is is exponentially faster. Yeah. So um, it almost uh, doesn't make sense that the pitchers don't wear some sort of headgear um, yeah. to protect themselves. Yeah. And I, so uh, I unfortunately fell into that category of not any, having any type of headgear or even awareness of sort of potential injury that can come with pitching. When I started off high school, I mean, I played quarterback for football, but I tried out for the baseball team, and I remember, like, pitching for the first time because they obviously wanted me to be a pitcher. It's like a good carryover. And I was terrified of that. I didn't play. I like I never even got on the field because I was just like that hypothetical situation was scary to me and it just didn't make sense and I, I just didn't and that's like a real example of everything you just laid out happening and scary. So you take this line drive to the, the temporal area. You what happens? You collapse. You black out. Do you do you remember? So I'm told that um, I, I don't really remember the the moment between being hit and the floor. Um, I was told that I shook a little bit on the floor and then I was transferred by EMS to Homestead Hospital before being airlifted to uh, Miami Children's Hospital um, where I spent uh, about five days in the ICU and then another couple days in a regular room. Um, So I was very fortunate to not require any sort of neuro intervention. Okay. Um, Did you have any bleeding? Like yes, associated there, with it? there was some uh, associated bleeding, but um, there was uh, never a reason to to do any sort of intervention right, to right. alleviate that bleeding. So they had you in the ICU, probably in an induced coma. No, no induced no? coma for okay. me. No, no, no. Okay, good. So they like they they just waited for the swelling and for it to go down, and okay, wow. Just continually uh, did neuro checks. Um, at the time, which seemed silly, to follow a finger and have a light flash in my eye. Um, and you're 17 years old. And I'm 17 years old. Were you terrified, or did you just not understand the sort of gravity of I'm in an ICU? You just thought, you know, I'm, I'm in the hospital. This isn't a huge deal. Or what was that like for you? I don't think I understood the gravity of okay. the situation. I, I might have been a little bit, um, I guess, fortunate for me at the time, uh, oblivious to to the severity of the injury. I think maybe until the recovery phase of post-traumatic brain injury. Um, it's, uh, I think it's difficult because 
for uh, individuals who have had traumatic brain injuries are not necessarily a physical deformity, um, but there's a lot of mental catching up to do. Yeah, so what was the rehab process like? I mean, I know most people, like, even I think about physical therapy, and, you know, that's kind of like what people think of when they think rehab, but there's, like you said, a lot more that goes into it. So what did that entail for you? So surprisingly, there's um, – I didn't undergo any sort of therapy for – uh, my injuries, although I think that would be sort of an interesting concept to to explore. Um, but it was a lot of um, sort of waiting just to um, – I had severe headaches for I think the first six months to a year. And, wow. then, um, and then I think I, I noticed some changes in maybe my attention mm-hmm. um, and learning style. And so I think it was making those adjustments during my senior year and freshman year of um, college that – uh, were the biggest factors for me. With post-traumatic brain injury, you think, I mean, it's called post, post-traumatic, but I think the biggest onset of symptoms you feel are months to a year after the injury. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you were in the hospital for, what, five days and another three days, but it wasn't until way after that you started to re- feel the real effects of it and that you had to work through that, which had to have been really difficult senior mm-hmm. year of high school. Um, and then freshman year of college, which I think is a really difficult time because it's super transitional. Um, and you went to a big school. You went to UF. I did. Well, I, I started tough. off at Miami Dade College. Okay. So I, um, I think as a result of the traumatic brain injury, uh, my parents and I thought that continuing care at, with the same uh, medical team would be important. While still beginning that new phase of While still. college. Jeez, that's tough. Do you have one of those uh, MDC stickers on your car? I used to. Oh, It I, fell off, unfortunately. Oh, I have MDCs. A is, is yeah, a, you need a new one. Is that I, from Miami Dade College? Yeah, you don't see them all around. I've never noticed one, no. I think it's the largest, um, I want to say it's the largest college in the state of Florida okay. in, in terms of enrollments. Okay. It's a really good, it's, it's, it's awesome. That's, and I, and yeah. I would like to say that Miami Dade College did have collectively uh, outstanding teachers. Yeah, I uh, learned a lot and have have had fantastic mentors from my time at Miami Dade College, and so. And it's accessible. Miami Dade College is, you know, it's the enrollment is open. Um, it's it's a really cool place. I think. I mean, I'm, it just reminds me back in Central Florida, we had a place called Seminole State College, and I think a lot of the smaller colleges are underrated in a way because. I only took a few classes. I took Gen Chem 1 and 2 there as like a transient student, I think they called it. And I also took my EMT course there. It was all amazing. Like great professors, small classes, and cheap. I went to a college like that in Denver. It's called Metropolitan State University of Denver. Who has ever heard of that? Nobody. Um, Unless you live in Colorado. The the the, Metropolitan? Yeah, the home of the Roadrunners. (laughs) And I actually got my degrees from there. And it's small classes, all taught by, you know, really – amazing PhDs, you know, maybe I had 10 people in my class. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, open enrollment, anybody can enroll and go. Um, n- you know, no no real admission standards, it's just anybody in the community can go. Um, and I loved it. I mean, and I got into med school, so, you know, here I am. So. I think, I think um, a lot of hopeful prospective medical students worry about going to a college before maybe a larger university. Yeah. Um, However, I think that the learning outcomes are really similar between the two. For yep. sure. Yep. Yeah. And so then, you know, you're progressing through college. You eventually transfer to UF mm-hmm. or go up to UF. 
at what point I know, you know, I imagine it wasn't immediately after or during the rehab process, maybe you uh, started thinking, maybe I want to be involved in medicine. Like at what point did you have that realization? Mm, I think it was maybe toward the end of my senior year of high school. And so, so kind of a very short period of time after about six months after my brain injury. What, what was that thought? Like, what was the, I think, um, initial impetus was that, um, I felt as though the uh, care team that I had, whether it was at Children's Hospital or then when I transferred care to um, the um, University of Miami with uh, Dr. Ned and Dr. Hot's team, mm-hmm. um, I felt like they had made such a profound impact in my life that if um, I went into medicine, I could make a similar impact on individuals who uh, are suffering from uh, debilitating health problems and um, improve their sort of quality of life through sure. medicine. Huh. So then uh, at some point you decided to pursue it and like academically with the classes and the MCAT and everything. Mm-hmm. So then uh, do you remember like what you were doing or what happened when you got the acceptance to the school you ended up attending here in SUMD? <laughs> College of Allopathic Medicine. Okay. So, <laughs> so that's fast forward to, so I also took um, a, a sort of a gap year a little bit. I did a master's in food science and human nutrition following yeah, my I graduation. Yeah, I was about to stop you and mention that. I knew that. <laughs> I read his resume. Yeah, I well, I knew that even before I read the his resume. The kid is educated. Yeah, he is. So food <laughs> science. Food science and human nutrition. That's cool. It was really cool. And there's a lot of really cool things that happen in the food industry. Yep. How did you what? pick that? Because I know you did like microbiology for undergrad and then... Why food science? So um, cool. it is very cool. So I think I was in, uh, um, at an impasse of what I should be doing in the year where um, I would be applying to medical school during that gap year. And um, I think I thought back to uh, high school teacher's advice, which is to sort of always continue taking the best opportunity. And so one of my letter writers um, was a food microbiologist and she had presented the opportunity that I could either work in the lab for a year under a new grant-funded project, um, or perhaps I could become a master's student. And so um, with the opportunity that she presented, I think I took a little bit of a pay cut from the um, lab technician point of view, but I was able to get the um, classes for my master's fully covered as well as a stipend for living. And so... Got to take it. Wow. (laughs) That's kind of... That's kind of unheard of for master's degrees, so good for you. I think, you know, uh, the food industry um, is a is a great career. and yeah, It's the largest, it's the most employees in this country are employed through the food industry. Everybody needs so, food. Yeah, well, yeah. And Me, especially. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I, I'm, I think at the time I was... Uh, sort of taking the best opportunity, but I'm so grateful for all the things that I learned during that time, whether it be um, from the food safety, but also more broadly about uh, federal regulation and and law and compliance. And so um, I had a, a lot of uh, benefits from doing that master's that were sort of unanticipated. And so you did that while you were interviewing 
because it was your gap year. Yes. From, I got to say for everybody, from an admission standpoint, having been on the committee for the past year, I like, and I know other committee members really value when we see people doing stuff during their gap year, like doing a master's, having a job, um, and instead of just sitting around. I was cramming a two-year master's into one year. That, jeez. Yeah. So I was what an sort impressive. Of, I was sort of like overtime between wow. between my lab and... Um, I think that year is a little bit of a of a blur because um, <laughs> and, I would. And you're I, doing all this at the age of 21, I'm assuming. I think so. I think. Oh 20. my gosh! So I was in in the morning. Wow. I would go to classes, then I'd run experiments in the lab until maybe like seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night, and then on weekends I wanted to sort of st still continue being involved in my neuroscience lab. So I used to go and and, and assist them and from eight to twelve running. Um, weekend work because nobody I think that's a kind of um, something that learn to add value and um, you know you, you always go appreciate it and so I thought that I could continue to add value to my former lab by working weekend shifts and so um, it, it, it certainly paid off in terms of uh, in terms of being included on publications in during medical school it's also just a real example of actual work ethic which yeah. lacks a lot and uh, maybe not most medical students, but a lot of people don't have that. Well, especially when you're, what, 21, 22 years yeah, old? Yeah, a, a young person being like, yeah, I'm going to work really hard for something. Yeah, I didn't. I, yeah, I, I didn't I when I was 21, casino. 22. I, yeah, I, good for you. That sounds like a lot of fun to work at a casino. Yeah, you think it is, but it's actually it's kind of depressing. <laughs> and I'll also say, too, <laughs> like I'm not on the missions committee, you are, but I imagine when... When somebody's doing something like being fully involved in a master's program while applying to school, they're they're saying like, "Hey, I really do hope I get accepted to medical school. That's why I applied." But like, if I don't, I'm like still striving for something else. Like, I have yep. plans versus just like, "Yeah, I'm like live with my parents. I'm not really working much right now. Hope I get in. Yeah, and if not, I'll just reapply next year." That's the majority. <laughs> I know. And this what Chase exhibited is is goal oriented, you know, behavior, uh, which is really. We love to see it. And it's not, it's not even like it. it's good on paper for admissions. But he's that, doing it because he wants to do it. Yeah. And on top of that, it's if med school admissions don't work out, like you're like, all right, well, I can go work in the food industry or I can go pursue a Ph.D. Or like it, you're, you can continue on into your career even if you don't get accepted. It's not the end of the world because you have other opportunities. And I think um, something that I didn't anticipate was that that year of doing um, food science uh, – actually introduced me to a field that I hadn't anticipated enjoying. And so sometimes being willing to take a dive into something you're unfamiliar with is worthwhile because you might find a new passion or desire for a future career. Very true. Keeping an open mind. I like that. So you've so, got a goal of med school, but you also have an open mind to doing different things. Yes. All right, everybody. I hope you heard that. And so... <laughs> And so you asked me where I was when I found out I had been admitted. I think yeah. uh, I, I was standing outside the building where uh, I spent a lot of time. In. All that time we just talked about. And uh, I, I, I sort of like jumped and threw my phone and was happy. Did you like hip hip hooray outside the I, building? Nobody was around me. They all kind of just looked at me like <laughs> I was strange for yelling and being happy. Um, but I, I do remember this, the spot I was in. It was um, later in the admission cycle. And so um, I was very uh, appreciative of of NSUMD for 
admitted me to the charter class. Uh, I think NSUMD is the one who should be appreciative of having Chase. La Beast. La Beast in the class. So you end up here. Obviously, you have this unique background. Everyone's got a unique background. But then you get here, and we're all here as baby M1s. So like how at a is, brand new school. At a brand new school, getting to know each other, getting to know the faculty, trying to get our bearings. How was that? I guess we can just talk about the first year in general. How was that first year, that transition to med school for you? Before we do that, can I tell you my first memory of Chase? Please. Okay. He was standing in the um, in the PBL hallway, and he had sugar cane juice that his grandpa had made. No way that was my first. Was it my first memory? But I actually talked with you. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, like I, I know you existed, and we had like pleasantries. Hello, hello, how are you? That sort mm-hmm. of stuff. But this one, I actually got a glimpse into who you are as a person. You brought sugar cane juice that your grandpa made. I well, thought that we, was neat. My, so my we do we uh, make sugar cane juice every other Sunday. See, for someone who's not from Miami, <laughs> you know, I, I'm from like you know the mountainous regions of the West. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as sugar cane juice. So I thought that was so cool. I was so fascinated. For you, it seemed like a normal thing that you had done every. Every other weekend, I was totally in awe. So you were just walking around the hallway with fresh sugar cane juice. (laughs) Maybe more uh, familiar to you is that I actually grew up riding mules every weekend with my with my family. So what? Not sure if there were mules in in the mountains of Colorado. Oh, mountains of Nevada. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, there are mules, but no. Wow, really? I did. Yeah. Like where? Like on the streets of Miami or? On the streets of Miami. No. That's beautiful. By the Dolphin Mall. That's incredible. By the Dolphin Mall. (laughs) Right by the Dolphin Mall. We were sort of on the, continued to push the mules further and further back as the line of development. So we were, we used to actually have the mules on the plot of land where the Dolphin Mall was constructed. Wow. Or just adjacent to it. So I remember before any of, any of that stuff was around. That's incredible. (laughs) I think, see, I think that's so cool. I think that's neat. Wow. Did you put that on your application? You should have. I did not. Maybe um, <laughs> that would have been fun to include. Um, Mule Wrangler. Mule Wrangler. Sugarcane juice maker. Yeah. Pre- yeah. Sugar- yeah. You did I mean, mention that on uh, the CV you sent me. It. You said you like, you mentioned how you like garden and, and mm-hmm. do some things like making limoncello and stuff. Yeah. Let's talk about the limoncello. <laughs> that's an interview favorite. To talk about oh really? Okay, okay. Because okay, so you got a spiel. I think to go. I think every, maybe not every, but almost every attending and radiologist has taken at least one trip to the Amalfi Coast in Italy, and so everybody that I interviewed with had tried limoncello either recently or within the past couple years, (laughs) (laughs) and so I think they were all surprised by um, the fact that somebody was actually making it themselves and. I think the common question was, why don't you just buy it? No, because it's better to make it. But those those lemons are very difficult to come across. So um, it's a it's a very specific kind of lemon, the, the uh, Sorrento lemon. Um, so where do you the get peel, that? So the peel is, is very desired because of the uh, oils that are in it are in a stronger concentration than maybe something like a Myers lemon. And so... Um, these uh, lemons are primarily grown in uh, on the Amalfi Coast in Italy. 
However, there's some distributors in the UK, but it's not easy to ship agriculture from overseas. Lots of barriers. Yeah, like bugs and stuff and invasive species. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But I was able to find a distributor that was in New York City. Okay. And so <laughs> while I happened to be on a on a on a trip to to go help Nicolette move back down, um, I bought a huge case of of these lemons and. Um, was able to peel them and, and, and sort of make my first batch of uh, limoncello. So how do you preserve these lemons so you So you, you just them. use the peels okay. and you sort of infuse the uh, – I used Everclear, but you can use other sorts of strong uh, alcohols to uh, extract the oils from the peels. Then you sort of – that takes a couple weeks, and then you have to let it uh, go through a cool-down period before mixing it with a sugar syrup to make it a little bit more palatable than to drink Everclear straight, pretty much. <laughs> See, isn't Chase cool? <laughs> it's that food science like, Isn't it cool? And, and it really is. It, it's the food science background that I, you know, uh, didn't anticipate having, but kind of has become uh, one of the biggest hobbies I've had in medical school has helped me get through. I wish I would have known about it earlier because I think I would have been really interested in it just because I, I really like nutrition and like exercise, but I also found out later before, like right before medical school, I was like, oh, wow, I really like organic chemistry and biochem and stuff, but Ew. my experience is a lot less with that. And that seems like a merging of the two. Yes. Uh, I took a food chemistry course and um, it was outstanding, lots of fun. And um, <laughs> and I think that that's sort of what uh, provoked uh a desire to start cooking and and then when you start cooking you want to start having more control of your ingredients so you start gardening and so <laughs> naturally <laughs> and so i'm really happy to be in florida because we have oh and you can yeah you have like it's the what is it the plant hardiness zone we have yes the top one of the top the most ideal one yes yes we have okay. a great uh great state for for farming so as somebody who who is not staying in Florida, I have grown a beautiful mango tree. It's seven feet tall now from a seed. Wow. Like, yeah. If you... So... so like, does your grandpa want it? Does anybody... It's, it's a beautiful I have, mango. It needs it's to go like, to a good you know, home. Like it's a really, what, what subtype of mango is it's it? It's a Thai mango. Is it's, it really? Yeah, it's the ones that... They're not stringy at all. It's just straight butter flesh. They're huge. It's so good. If you want it, you let me know because I know you got to pick up like, Mango, mango we'll trees talk. are kind of like weeds down here. I hate which I is... know. I know, but I, I grew this from a, a, a seed. It's my COVID baby. And I don't think it's going to be – I don't think it's going to grow where I'm going. So, <laughs> so It's not going to grow where you're going. I don't think it's going to grow there. So that was one of my big concerns about those lemons that I had gotten from New York. Okay. I When I extra- took off the peels, I kept the seeds. And so – Oh, I have okay. I started off with about eight saplings of of little you know trees to do limoncello in the future, and um, those seeds. So I was concerned about what I would do going if I if I was going to go up north um, about those saplings. But I have about five left. Wow, we have so much more in common than I ever even realized. Isn't Chase cool? I, I've known Chase is cool, but like that's the beauty of this is that we just get to sit here and just shoot the breeze for two hours or less. And you know what else is cool about Chase? You notice how he's friendly. That's like my first impression of Chase is friendly. He's half Cuban, half Midwesterner. <laughs> is that like, true? Yeah, it's like the perfect combination for a friendly person. My mom grew up in Wisconsin. Okay, and my dad is is uh, 
Cuban. So. That's a good blend. Right? <laughs> That's I, why he's so nice mm-hmm. and pleasant and warm. Wow. Yeah. That is a nice hybrid yeah, of I know. cultures. It's Midwestern per- culture yeah. and Cuban culture. I never thought about that. So do you make tater tot casseroles? Like, it, I'll start. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You'll start? Okay. I, I had my first Frito casserole in St. Louis the other day. and Okay. It was an interesting experience. I think uh, maybe that's a little south to be considered Midwestern, but yeah, it's southern Midwestern maybe. Yeah, Speaking for sure. of St. Louis, you were there visiting Nicolette, Nicolette which is your person. There's Who is your person? <laughs> We we uh, met at the University of Florida. That's and right, and you guys did. You worked on getting your grants together, and and then subsequently co-founding a, a nonprofit together. That's incredible, and then maybe co-founding a, a life forever together. Yes, hopefully, hopefully yeah. And now you know, she's if she'll school. have you, and she's a medical student herself. Yes, she's in her first year of medical school at uh, ah. Kansas City University. Congratulations, Nicolette. <laughs> Congratulations is right. Yeah. But wow, um, so you guys are a power couple. I didn't say that. You did. Okay. I'll cool. second it. So yeah, that's a. So you were asking a, me about first year of medical school. Yeah, but that was a really solid background <laughs> of a, a get to know Chase introduction. Wow. So yeah, then you then that guy ends up in medical school along with right this with us with us and our stellar classmates so chase you're one of those people that i never had any groups with or anything i know i don't know how it worked out that way it's just a small class it's a small class but some of us just never crossed paths um despite that always pleasant to talk to you i think one of the benefits of going to uh smaller med school is that even if you don't have groups with other people you can sort of sort of get to know everybody, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, whether you wanted to or not, I agree. And I mean, sitting here like looking back, I do kind of regret like not getting to know people even more, or like mm-hmm. hang, like you, for example. Like you and I are really cool. Like we've always been cool, but we don't really we haven't like hung out a ton. Like we have a few a few times with intramural football together and stuff. But like, yeah, kind of it's kind of a bummer to me, I guess. Just like because now I'm really getting to know people, especially like with the stress of the match and stuff, like kind of unifying us. Now we're all like as connected as we're ever going to be, but then we're about to leave. So, but we'll see each other again. Yeah. So it's Small cool. class. Yeah. We'll always stay in touch, I think. I have a feeling. Chase and I are going to be co-resies. Ah, uh, see, now you get to, you guys get to build. Mm-hmm. But I feel like our whole class will stay in touch. Well, we've only known special. each other for such a brief time. Yeah. I, I think. In the, yeah. Um, we'll be able to continue our relationships yeah. for yeah. years and to come. A and brief time filled with responsibilities and you know we were all doing stuff a lot of it so Mm -hmm. but yeah how was your first year how was your first year of med school tell us about it first year of medical school i think i arrived into medical school a little bit burned out so our first day (laughs) would you do like a two years (laughs) master's program in like a year and then go straight to med school so our first day of of that event that we had in the community center Mm -hmm. i had actually just taken a final day before and driven overnight and so I hadn't slept that day. And so it's I don't really remember a lot of what we did that time. But um, I hadn't finished the master's, so I actually had to defend my thesis during um, during one of our breaks that we had. That ain't right. And so um, I think that I missed out on a lot of opportunity to get to know classmates early on in those first couple of weeks where everybody was hanging out and during the uh, professional development. Don't worry. I didn't do that either. 
Okay. <laughs> don't feel bad about it. No, no, no. I don't. I don't feel bad at all. Yeah. I think. Um, but having, I think, uh, I was able to um, sort of recuperate during those first couple weeks of uh, professional development, and so I think that uh, I think that my first year of medical school was maybe a little bit different than I had anticipated. And um, how so? I, I I think that we had a lot of free time to study. We did, right? And, which I think was a huge benefit. Um, okay. Was it a nice change for you? I think it was a it was a nice change of pace where um, before I was sort of dedicating my time to um, other pursuits. Now it was individual to what I wanted to be doing. And I think that's kind of a misconception, at least I had about medical school, is you think that it's going to be like just all encompassing, like all of your time is spent studying morning to night. And like maybe at some schools it is like that, but I think that our school has provided us with a lot of flexibility. And if you are disciplined in your time and you manage it well, it's fairly manageable and probably more manageable than even like your master's program or even some undergraduate programs are. It's just a lot of material. Um, but you have more free time to make up for that. And we get so much free reign that if you're a procrastinator, such as myself, and it sounds like you as well, you could get yourself into trouble with that. And and I appreciated, I think, the um, change in the way that outcomes were, um, I think, happening. So, um, for example, during my master's work, when you set out to to answer any sort of scientific question, um, you might not like the answer when the results don't come back positive. However, um, so your time is not necessarily correlated with, with success. And so um, I think that with medical school, I saw a more direct correlation with time spent studying and success on, on exams. Yeah, it's and like grades. you get in what you, or you get out what you put in. Yeah. Very true, either way. When did you... First, because, uh, you know, we're here and you applied to radiology, successfully matched radiology. When did that kind of come on your radar? Was it when you came in, before you came in, or at a certain point during med school? I think that um, our classmates had sort of pegged me as maybe a more radiology-focused individual early on. Um, Why is that? PBL. Um, I think that I can come across, across as more of a quiet or introverted person. Okay. And I think that that's more associated with being in the field of radiology. Um, but I think I would just mention that to say that I don't think that um, I was – I'd always been open to a lot of different medical specialties, but it wasn't until our um, COVID had pushed back the uh, start of our clerkships and we did the online radiology elective where I thought that – Radiology might be the right field for me. Were you um, in that with me? Because I did that. Yeah, yes. we all, all were. Yeah, it was just, most of us were. Yeah, almost the entire class was. I haven't thought about that in a long time. But yeah, it was really good. Shout out Dr. Banks. Shout out to Dr. Banks. Yep. And and uh, yeah, we can get to Dr. Banks later about his sort of support of I think all most of the students applying in radiology. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, Before yeah. we started recording, I was telling you how I like considered radiology for like a week. Just tried to consider it. It was during that because mm-hmm. I, I was really enjoying the course mostly because of Dr. Banks and just how much passion he put into it. And I was like, wow, this is a really interesting field. 
Um, so that was really the start of it for you, or that really made a good impression on you? I think so. I think that that primer in radiology um, really helped me to add value to resident teams as a medical student. That's a good way um, to describe it, a primer in radiology. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I think um, a lot of schools strive to incorporate more radiology earlier on. And that primer that we had really gave us the opportunity to feel comfortable looking at uh, even some more complex scans. I think we got into MRI at the end. We had it in our first year, too, in our HSF lab. Yeah. And I loved those sections with Dr. Banks when we spent time at the radiology table reading images with him. So we had it, you know, from day one, year one, day one, radiology exposure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And obviously you're not uh, well-versed or versed at all in radiology then, but at least you're getting uh, like kind of a primer, like you said, of just, oh, this is what these different modalities are. This is when they can be useful so that when you are seeing it for the first or second time in a real person, you have some background and you're not saying, oh, that's cool, that's what an x-ray is. When you're reading an x-ray for the first Mm -hmm. time, you get a little primer. Well, and I think um, I'm always trying to look for how I can add value to either a team or a situation. And so having that primer during my clerkships, my strategy, um, as we mentioned before, I think we anticipate not having a lot of time, but if I think if you arrive early to your clerkship and um, you maybe do some prep work, you'll have more time than you anticipate. And so um, I would use that time to review uh, patient scans for sort of the whole um, team's patient list. And um, Wow. <laughs> That's cool. And so um, the residents are really eager to see the imaging results, but I think their patient load is a little bit um, more extensive than ours. And so if you're able to, well, at least my strategy was to find the imaging results that were pertinent that may be called on the report, then show them to the residents so that they wouldn't have to spend time looking through the scan. That's great. I think that was... Yeah, that's incredible. I think that's a way that um, as a radiology perspective applicant, you can stand out on your team. Yeah, I think that's super applicable to those interested in radiology. Like that's a very specific example of of trying to be involved in the scans of all your patients on your team. And then even if you're not interested in radiology, just like Chase said, find a way to add value to your team. Like I'm the EKG guy, so I would always try to look at all the EKGs, um, at least for my patients. But like I would try to be involved with anything cardiac on our team and try to learn from it at least. And even if you don't have a niche interest, like try to – at least for your patients that you carry, like truly do add value, like know everything about them so that you can help out the residents and you're not just like a burden to the team, you're truly helping even as a third year. Mm -hmm. This makes me in hindsight feel really horrible for not adding much value to the teams (laughs) other than, you know, maybe a little bit of comic relief. That's value though. In how I walk. So... (laughs) Like no. a cartoon character. No, you you definitely had mm-hmm. you definitely were thoughtful enough to have detailed uh, relationships with your patients where you would find out things about them that others didn't. So I think you definitely added value in your own way. Yeah, everybody yeah. has their own way. I think that's the perfect way to say it. And I think yeah. um, um, I think at the start of third year, I hadn't anticipated that um, there's maybe a bias against students that. Um, are not applying in the specialty where you're rotating sometimes. I don't know if, if you guys had encountered that before, but... I did. Certainly, as a, as a, when you um, express that you're interested in radiology, 
you get some, oh, okay, then the student's mm -hmm. uh, uninterested in, in rounds or the student's uninterested in surgery, for example. I think the only way I was able to kind of combat that or I guess a, a prospective student could in the future is let's say you're, you're gung-ho for emergency medicine and you're showing up to an internal medicine clerkship. You could, when you, you know, meet your senior resident or you're attending, be like, yeah, I'm going to be applying emergency medicine, but like I really want to excel in this rotation and learn everything there is to learn as a medical student about this field. Like I'm truly interested and, you know, leave no room for doubt in that you actually do want to excel. And you're not just there to pass the time until you can apply to what you really want to do. I noticed when you said you were interested in IM, people tended to still include you because IM is everything. Okay. That was at least my experience. Well, my experience on the flip side was when I went to a primary care physician that Chase also went to. And at that time, I was still really considering EM. Oh, and okay. They were not a fan of that. Um, hmm. They immediately... Uh, Every time they would talk to me, my presentations, they would tell me how I was thinking like an ER doctor, and, and oh. I, I really wasn't. Oh, I don't and, like that. And it was a, it was not great. So oh. that was the one time I like said it, and it really backfired on me. Okay. But on the flip side, I have told attendings that um, in OBGYN uh, that I was interested in radiology, and um, I think it was a really you know great experience because then. I was put on the spot to interpret things ah, that maybe okay. were beyond my scope. Um, my learning was also tailored toward imaging in OBGYN. And I was able to create teaching presentations for the um, OBGYN uh, attendings as well as for the students on the rotation. Wow. And so I think um, when you, I, I think maybe what I learned was to be truthful about what you want to do and in cases where you don't get the reaction of support that you might have expected that to just show enthusiasm like Mitch said and um, I think that will shine through yeah I would never I, I would always suggest being honest um, yes. I would never suggest and I know some people do this where they go into every rotation and lie and say that they're interested in that specialty and you know maybe more often than not that will help your experience and grade but i don't think that's a good way to live and i think it's better to be honest and just preface it with hey but i still want to excel because you will get that when you have good attendings who care about teaching they'll be like oh this kid's interested in radiology let me get him very involved in all the scans so i would always err on that side yeah me too i, I be honest because it's good if you say hey i'm interested in radiology and then the surgeons become extremely dismissive of dismissive dismissive of you that's a good thing because that means, you know, that specialty isn't right for you. And you know that that's not where you would belong. That's an, another way to look at it. Um, because no matter what specialty you're going to go into, and no matter which specialty you're rotating in, they should all want to teach everybody. Because we need to know everything. And I think it could end up, and it should end up working out in your favor if you do the things we said. Because, like, you go into an IM clerkship, you're like, hey, I'm interested in radiology. I still want to excel. And then throughout the month, you're like... A, a rock star student and you're like killing it I, th not only did you do well you did well even though it's not your field I, that should make you stand out if anything if that's what you're worried about so but you yeah like chase get there early and look at all the images so first go. and second year <laughs> went well ish for you i think so okay and then i guess quickly you could 
just touch on how board exams went for you? I know recently step one's pass fail. It was not for us. Mm -hmm. It was very much graded and we were very much stressed about it. Um, how important do you think step one and two are for radiology specifically? And how did you feel it affected your interview? You know, can you just talk about your perspective on that? Yeah, of course. So I think that in the field of radiology, board scores are very heavily considered by mm -hmm. a lot of programs. Um, and doing well on those boards is really helpful to uh, your success in matching. However, it gets um, you through the initial filter, I suppose, right? It gets right? you through the initial filter. Okay, and you, you know, based off of historical averages and just so for matched applicants. Just so like maybe underclassmen are not confused. When we say filter, I think what we mean is that some programs will set a filter and say, hey, let's send out interviews to people with step ones over 230 or 225 or whatever they may choose. They can filter in that regard. Because so. you have to sift through. Some programs get 6,000 applications. Mm -hmm. How are you going to sift through that if you're going to give 600 interviews? So this is this is key. So, so board scores being very important, I scored below specialty average for radiology. During so did I <laughs> for radiology for radi okay. and internal medicine. But uh, I think, as, as Sam knows, um, um, as we discussed before about sort of failure, I think that that's maybe something that I saw as sort of a failure at the time. But um, I think that it made me think about trying to push myself to work in other fields a little bit harder to make myself stand out as an applicant in the future. What other fields would you uh, would you say you worked harder in to try to make up for that? So um, research was a was a big focus for me. Okay. Um, I think starting in undergrad, but then continuing in medical school, and um, uh, what 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 I chose, I think to to do was because I enjoy doing research. I think that if um, I just tried to let my sort of passion guide what I was doing and show that um, that I was willing to work hard in things that I'm passionate about. And right. so for me, that was research. And I'd like to say, though, that the board scores for radiology are pretty high, so I wouldn't be too hard on yourself. You <laughs> probably still did better than everybody. As far as, uh, I mean, that was step one. And then was step two similar? Did you feel more prepared, less prepared? Do you think it's also taken as seriously by radiology program directors? I only say that because, like, in certain specialties, like EM, I know, because um, I almost applied to EM, mm -hmm. step two is taken very seriously, more so than step one in EM. I think for IM as well. Okay. Yeah, and family medicine, it's a big deal. So um, it might be I, – I, I don't know how seriously step two is taken by radiology programs. Um, I, it's going to have to be however, going forward now. given that step one is pass-fail – um, now, it's anticipate, now it's now it's all they have so I anticipate that I think step two for me was a lot um, easier to take mm -hmm. because Agreed. same because the information is um, not necessarily an esoteric fact but rather uh, most times it's the next sort of logical step in management clinically applicable stuff generally speaking mm -hmm. not always yes and so um, I think that step two if I could um, look back and think retrospectively, I think the best way to study for step two is to really study hard for your uh, shelf exams. And yep. it's not necessarily step one. 
I think those six weeks leading into step one were the most critical time for improving your score. But step two, I don't know if you can really um, cram. Cram. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's also um, something where uh, if you're able to get a mindset of thinking sort of like a medical student or thinking like a doctor, it becomes a lot easier. Yeah, and I think we talked about this in a previous episode, and, and I'm sure we will again when we bring in some of the underclassmen, but the shelf exams are like little step twos mm-hmm. as you go. Uh, st- well, they are step two style questions just in each subject, so I totally agree. If you're studying hard throughout the year for each shelf exam, um, I I studied, I mean, I didn't excel in all my shelf exams, but I studied well enough for each of them, and by the time I got the dedicated for step two, that dedicated period felt a lot more chill than dedicated for step one. And then I was just doing my UR questions. I wasn't really stressing as as much as I was for step one. And when I went into the exam, I wasn't super nervous. I was like, I've seen these questions for over a year now. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's fine, let's just do this. Yep. And historically, everybody scores higher on step two um, for that reason, uh, because you're seeing this information throughout a year. Um, and yeah, so step two. It's not so bad. And then, so we kind of talked about your first couple of years, your board exams, third year. So then it kind of leads up to application season. So yeah. how'd you prep your app for hmm. RADS? When did you know you were going to do radiology? At what point during your clinicals? Okay, so going back to third year then, yep. um, I think the competing interest was going to be pediatrics. And so. Wow, I'm shocked. And um, I'm shocked. So I, I sarcasm. I'm shocked. No, I'm shocked. Oh, actually. Sorry. Oh, actually. Yeah. Okay. Why? Well, I think that my interest in pediatrics was because of my experience. Oh, because if you're okay, okay. From I my, see. So, I get it. I so get it. So the whole reason for okay. me going into medical school was because of traumatic brain injury and right. working with, you know, so children you to recuperate children. injuries, and so you're just um, so bright and, and nice. <laughs> and so he'd be a good pediatrician. Oh, well, he'd be an excellent pediatrician definitely and so i still had my open mind for pediatrics but i think um part of uh determining your fit in where you are in the medical world is is uh seeing how you fit in with your colleagues and Mm -hmm. i think that um i i think that i would not have been a good fit as a as a pediatrician uh, based on my experience rotating in pediatrics i think that's a really important thing for second and third years to kind of think when they're going into the rotations really just pay attention to the people you're working around not that you have to get along with every single person in that field but there is a definite uh, collective difference in the personality and mindset not so much personality but mindset of internal medicine physicians and and their various subspecialties There's also differences uh, versus pediatricians em doctors primary care doctors radiologists OBGYN. they're very different I hate the word vibes, but they're different vibes. You know what I mean? You couldn't be more correct. You And that's what you should use your third year for. I know a lot of people want to go into third year, excel, get all honors. But really, you should go into third year with an open mind of, is this my lifestyle? <clears throat> Are these my people? And do I like seeing these types of patients? And, and is the life of that attending the life that I want? Correct. Not the residence. Yeah, because that's what quick. And like Jason and I were talking before we recorded about how awesome our EM rotation was as a medical student. It's so much fun. You're just seeing patients doing stuff, and there's like minimal responsibility. It's a blast, but very different than the attending life. Not to knock on EM, but like your experience as a medical student 
is different than the life of an attending. So just try to figure out what that attending life is like. For I am, it was fantastic. Yeah, that's why we're doing it, bro. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> and so I think that sort of parlays into uh, my first actual in-person radiology rotation, which was in the May before we had to apply. So Was that with the Dr. Banks? That was with the Dr. Banks. Oh, so shout appli- out Dr. Banks again. So applications are September-ish, and then mm-hmm. this was in May. So yes. a few months beforehand. A few months beforehand. I, uh, I think that it was sort of... Uh, I think at that point, uh, having ruled out pediatrics, I wanted to make sure that I fit in with radiology. And I was a little bit nervous, uh, I sure. think, before starting because um, what if I didn't fit? Then what would I have done? And, and what um, are you going to do? And then what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, and so uh, maybe you'll have a student on another podcast that can speak to that where there was maybe a last-minute change in you're looking at him, man. That <laughs> <laughs> was the last minute change of he the century. He really was. I think you went up until August still not knowing. I had, I had everything ready for both EM and IM. And the whole time I was pretty sure IM was the right choice. But, man, it was hard to let go of EM because that's all I knew. So How yeah. happy are you now? I'm, I'm super pumped. Yeah. I like, like zero regrets. Yep. But, but great news. Radiology was the right fit for me. It was. And, and good. Um, I think there's always like a, a formal answer as to what you give to why you went into radiology. But then there's also maybe the informal stuff like what we were talking about in terms of fit. And for me, that was seeing um, uh, an energy drink on the desk of the residents and also of the radiologist attendings. While they're <laughs> reading their scans. And... Yeah, I think. Nice uh, monitors, nice black room. I think I had faced so much judgment during my first two years of, of medical school carrying an energy drink into PBL. What? I feel like but everybody now, carried an energy drink. Now I can carry drink. my coffee or an energy drink into the reading room. And you're, oh. and you're, you're welcome. And you're right at home. It's a prerequisite at the door. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I guess um, how would you describe that culture of, of radiology? And like I said, personalities vary, et cetera, but you, you kind of found your people. So like, what is that? Hmm. So I think that radiologists, be- believe it or not, are, are really vibrant and um, – mm-hmm. I agree. And uh, genuine people. I and, agree. and they tend to be um, very happy with their career and very happy with um, their work. Um, radiology touches uh, pretty much every single patient that walks through the, room, through, through the doors of a hospital. And so in some way, a radiologist impacts almost every patient in that hospital's care. And... Um, the way I saw it where was that if you're reading 100 scans a day, that's seeing over 100 people, and that's assisting in the care of that person. So Yeah, sometimes a minimal amount, and sometimes it's like a life or death situation, and your read really does impact them directly. Yes, and so you're. Uh, I think that I really appreciated the um, the – respect and also the um, trust that other physicians place in, in, in radiology departments and radiologists to, to accurately diagnose um, imaging. Yeah, I think that, that uh, I kind of just said it, but just like it, I'm just thinking about that f- for the first time in a long time. Your read really can impact someone's life uh, strongly, it completely influence their care from the medicine team, the ER of 
of their disposition. Are they going home? Are they getting admitted? Are, do they need a procedure? Do they need a surgery? And it's off of your interpretation of images, which is very profound, I guess. And the gravity of your misses are also life-changing. Yeah. Whether it be an immediate change or whether it be long-term, um, a miss on any scan can result in profound change in that patient's life. And I agree. You guys are the nicest bunch of people in the hospital. <laughs> I'm telling you. I've met a good handful of radiologists, and they've all been pretty awesome. They're just fantastic people. I'm sure there's some that aren't, but most of you are. What other specialty can you walk into the department and be like, hey, man, can you look at this scan with me? And they're always like, <laughs> oh, yeah, man, just pull up a chair. Come on, guys. Yeah, just give me a second. Let me finish this. Yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> walking to like a cardiologist's office and be like, hey, man, can you look at this EKG with me? <laughs> no, I said good morning to a cardiologist once. I told him his lunch looked good, and he said, who are you to talk to me? And I said, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And and I think that that's another thing, too, is that um, <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> yeah, it happened in the elevator at one of the hospitals we rotate, rotate at. And he had this big plate of food. I was like, whoa, that roti looks good. And he looked at me, and he looked at his food, and he looked at me, and he went, who are you? medical student and you think you can just talk to me and i was like ah <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> it did looked good yeah this plate of food looked good and i'm sorry i interrupted you please no please I, add some it, intellect it, it, to it's this. almost the complete opposite for for in the field of radiology radiologists almost um would like more uh connection with physician ordering physicians and um and as you guys said before, there's always seats in the reading room. It's a nice reprieve from the bright lights of the hospital. Yeah. It's a really cool place. And just if you're listening to this and you're a third year and you're about to go on rotations or you are on them already, yeah, if you're on IM especially, like if you have an interesting scan or you just want to like learn something about your patient, like you can walk into the radiology reading room in the radiology department. And obviously if they're in the middle of work, don't just interrupt them. But hey I'm a medical student on this team would you mind when you have a second looking at this scan with me on my patient nine times out of ten they're gonna say yeah and, and as you said if it's an interesting um, scan or finding the um, residents at Aventura are incredibly supportive and motivated to um, pursue academic work um, whether it be a poster or um, you know research paper and so if you think you have something that is um, worth writing about or an attending mentions it, then, um, as you said, go visit the reading room and uh, talk with one of the residents because um, I've had some fantastic mentorship from residents at the program, um, such as uh, Dr. Prater um, was supportive of Zach and, and me and Adam, Ali, Christina. I think she helped each one of us either publish a poster or a paper together. And oh, so, wow. Um, there's always a resident that's uh, interested in, in those mentorship opportunities. Yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough of Aventura, just at least from the radiology perspective, too. Like, one of the, do you know Zeke, one of the residents, Dr. Kapusiak? He's um, a, he, I think he'll be, I think he's a first year, so he'll be a, a radiology resident next year. But yeah. I was just like on, on ICU, and he was always looking at scans and just always teaching me stuff about scans. Like, his passion for it was very obvious. So, uh, big fan of the radiology department there. Yeah, they're good there. And, and so, as Mitch said, even if you're on another rotation, stop by the reading room. And uh, if you're interested in learning, um, uh, a resident or an attending might uh, sit down with you and go through the whole thing. For sure. 
And if you bring them a snack, they're not opposed to it. Or an energy drink. Or an energy drink. <laughs> I think three things I want to touch on. Um, we have some time, but, you know, we are in kind of the, the last, you know, path or last half year of the, of the podcast. How did the application season go for you? Um, if you wouldn't mind, if you, if you don't want to, it's fine. But how many applications you ended up sending out, how many interviews you went on, um, that would be cool to talk about. I'd love to hear about, like, your career aspirations um, and go from there. Yeah. Oh, also, last thing, if you could kind of talk about also how radiology programs even work, because it's a little confusing when you hear things yeah. like prelim, TY, TY advanced. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, so just your perspective on that, too, would be cool. Okay, so I'll break down the way that you apply. So when you apply to radiology, it, there's sort of two different areas of radiology. There's um, the interventional pathway, interventional radiology, and then there's more of the diagnostic side. Um when you apply to um, di- uh, interventional radiology, it's called the integrated pathway. And so what that means is that when um, you apply to that residency, you are going directly into um, that interventional career. And um, that can vary in practice between um, location. However, um, there's you're participating a lot more procedures catheterizations and um, biopsies and versus the um, diagnostic side there's still participation in various procedures and I did want to say I think that that's something that surprised me about diagnostic radiology is there's um, depending on where you go to practice there's a lot of procedures that you can be involved with and there's also a lot of uh, patient more patient contact than one might think um, uh, a great example was uh, when I did a breast imaging rotation. Um, you're working almost directly with, with women all day, um, whether it be to do their diagnostic imaging or to do a biopsy on a suspected mass. And so I think that a lot of people think of radiology as sort of a non-patient contact field. Almost like a technical service versus you're a physician taking care of patients. But but and, and and I think sometimes it can be where you don't you can not have patient contact, but in some more procedural based fields, um, such as breast or, or MSK or musculoskeletal on the uh, diagnostic side, and then in the interventional side, you're working with patients all day. You're right about the breast the breast imaging centers. I mean, those exist everywhere. There's breast imaging centers that women will go to every year to get their annual mammograms or be referred to to get more imaging and and they will talk directly with their radiologist so Mm -hmm. that's yes that's pretty neat yeah and so um as i said before there's sort of two different pathways you can take um however if you change your mind and you might be interested in uh interventional radiology there's a pathway within some diagnostic programs called early specialization in interventional radiology and so Somewhere between your um, second and uh, first year, you have to decide whether you're interested in that pathway. And what that does is give you more time um, doing interventional rotations so that you can then apply for um, that additional year in interventional radiology. So when we say interventional, what are we intervening on? So um, for the layman out there, so such as myself. Those are <laughs> procedures which are. Um, it's things like vascular uh, catheterization. Um, you can go into neurointerventional radiology in which um, 
it has a lot of overlap with other fields such as cardi uh, interventional cardiology and okay so you would go in there and put a stent in or go in there and break up a, a clot in the brain. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Grab and then, a clot. Grab a out. clot. Pull it out. And there's even overlap. Wow. Yeah. So that's intense. It's it's really intense. Yeah. It's um, it's much more of a um, sort of surgical field. Yeah. Within radiology, so it's much more surg- surgically oriented. And just like from my perspective of IR, which is very limited, but I mean, people think of radiology as sitting in a room reading scans, but I've seen the other end of, uh, like, even on my EM rotation, we had a guy that had a basilar artery stroke. It's no mm-hmm. joke. And we, like, rushed him to the R- IR lab, and they, you know, did an embolectomy or, or whatever you call it, where, a thrombectomy, sorry, mm-hmm. where they pulled the thrombus out. And that's an emergent dying patient that the radi- interventional radiologist is uh, primarily responsible for. Interventional radiologists are working sometimes with the sickest patients in the hospital. Yeah. Um, However, um, something that maybe is of note to people who are, might be interested is that um, you still be trained to a certain extent um, in, on the diagnostic side. And so you sort of are able to do both. And in some time in private practices, you might be expected to do both diagnostic and interventional. So in your off time, you're reading on the diagnostic side. And then um, during procedure time, you go and do that intervention. So interventional radiology, it's its own, from what I know, separate application from diagnostic rads. But then if you did diagnostic rads, you still have a pathway to interventional radiology after the fact. Um, But from what I recall, interventional radiology is uber competitive. Yes. So one of the most. So interventional radiology is uh, extremely competitive. And every applicant that I've met that has applied to interventional uh, radiology also applies in diagnostic Okay. And they target programs that have the early specialization. Okay. Um, because that makes it easier to apply. That being said, you can still do um, a non-early specialization interventional radiology. However, that would take an additional two years of training versus okay. the one year of training that you save on the early specialization side. This reminds me of uh, our classmate and friend Mason that applied to integrated plastic surgery, but you can also do plastic surgery through general surgery, and then most people that apply to plastics also apply to general surgery. So okay. you may have an end result in mind, but there's multiple pathways to get there. And, and I've met also residents that um, applied in interventional radiology, didn't get it, and then stayed in diagnostic. But we're happy with the amount, they were interested in doing procedures and they were happy with the amount of procedures that are done in something like, for example, in body um, diagnostic imaging, where you can still do biopsies and other types of smaller procedures. And so it kind of scratches that itch without uh, necessarily going into interventional. And so they And you said, can do nuke med too, right? And you can do. Which is cool. You should do that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is very cool, and um, I think I think you have a little bit of bias because of uh, because of <laughs> <laughs> <for> nuclear medicine. <laughs> but, um, yes, and um, there's so much variety in the practice of uh, diagnostic radiology, and um, I think that students should uh, try to explore maybe shadowing one or two days and uh, with a resident to see what they might be interested in. But diagnostic radiology was sort of a very competitive this year. There <laughs> it was a it was a big one. 
There was, yeah, it was a big year. It's on um, its way back up. It's it, yeah, it's yeah. it saw a spike in applicants this year. Okay, um, but um, and you it, matched, you made it. And, and I, made I had it. no doubts because you're incredible. Would you be willing to share like how many places you applied to, like how many interviews you went on, how, how that many went? Ranks you had? Yeah, of course. So, um, diagnostic programs range from whether they're categorical or advanced, and so a categorical program um, basically means that. Um, of your five years of training, they guaranteed you a spot in their preliminary program. Which is your intern year, Which is your intern year. Okay. And so depending on which program you're applying to, that can be a guaranteed spot. Uh, for example, at Aventura, they guarantee you a spot in their transitional year. Your transitional year is, um, to s- simply say, um, sort of an extension of fourth year where you're rotating in different areas of the hospital. Also your intern year. Just Also um, your intern year. And we've worked with some T, we call them TYs. Yeah, and we've worked with a lot of them at Aventura. They'll be on every, you know, an IM. Mm-hmm. They'll be on ICU. I had one on my psych rotation. They do. They do it all. They do it all. Versus, you can also apply in internal medicine as well, and just do your whole year as though you're an intern in internal medicine. So that would be like a prelim, prelim, and, and prelim IM. Yeah. Okay. And then, so those you can also apply to, which tend to be um, a little bit less competitive than transitional years. Okay. Um, for funding reasons, right? I'm not sure. What I, I read it's for funding reasons, but... Yeah. And you can also do prelim surgery as well. And so people who are applying interventional uh, radiology are encouraged to do surgical preliminary years. Oh, okay. And okay. that's because you're going to be doing so many catheterizations and operating room procedures that... It might uh, translate better. It might translate better. That being said, you don't always have to. Okay. And I have... Met residents have said, I did a transitional year and I'm in inter- interventional radiology. So, what did you apply? Which one? All of them? Or? I applied in um, preliminary prelim medicines. Okay. I applied in transitional years and then I also applied to a pediatric preliminary year oh, cool. in Kansas City. Okay. Okay. Um, I think because of that sort of interest that I had in pediatrics. Yeah, and Nicolette. And, and Nicolette is in yeah. Kansas City. Um, and so I thought it'd be really great to spend a year in pediatric yeah. uh, floors and rotating. Best of both worlds from what you were initially interested in, too. Yes. Oh, that's cool. So how many yeah. places did you end up applying to, if you remember? So I applied to about mm, 10 preliminary positions, which I think is below the average because I was more concerned with location rather than trying to get a, a transitional year. Other applicants do anywhere from 15 to 20 transitional year applications. Okay. Um, if that's the route that you'd like to go. Um, in radiology, on the radiology side, I apply to about 82 programs in total. Do you know where that falls as far as the average? I think that that's far above the average from last year. Okay. However, um, the reason I chose to increase the number of applications was that um, because the interviews were in a virtual format, mm-hmm. there was, uh, uh, from my understanding, uh, people were less likely to um, refuse an interview due to travel. Yeah, um, I this think is that true. The the barrier of cost was sort of uh, eliminated, um, and so my intention was that I would have rather over applied than under applied, and because once you miss that first wave of applications, you're um, you're sort of cooked. You don't get to 
SOL. As you yeah. add as you add applications later on, now you're at the back of the queue. Right. I know people who interviewed at 40 programs. So in in radiology? No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, but they interviewed at 40 programs. I know people who interviewed at 30 programs, and I don't think normally that that would happen in a traditional interview cycle. And I and I completely understand why. Yeah. You might take that approach because if everybody's taking more interviews, then <coughs> Excuse then you me. also then you also have to worry about um, your com- level of competitiveness. We talked about it a little bit on a different episode of just like it's kind of a game. So if you mm-hmm. can get that many interviews, I can see why some might, even though we don't encourage it and we wouldn't necessarily take that approach. Um, you can't really fault people when there's no caps. Correct. Yes. So and and you never know what program might surprise you. I yes. think is what exactly is what I found on the interview trail. I think that. Um, Maybe a program that uh, I hadn't anticipated surprising me was um, in the Oklahoma area. Um, there's a community program which um, seemed as though it had the, one of the best resident cultures. And so um, they were all extremely happy and nice to each other. The attendings were happy and nice. I think we experienced that too on the IM side of things. I had two community programs in North and South Carolina particularly that were just like wow and they were in my top five because i thought they were excellent and i you know prior to interviewing there probably would not have ranked them that high um same if we weren't in a virtual cycle i would not have applied to where i ended up matching just didn't think that i would have a sh- chance you know but you're in a virtual cycles so you just apply everywhere just, wide nets are casted yes and, and so you never I took know that wide net up. approach okay and good <laughs> And so, um, were you going to ask me about um, interviews or what? Yeah, we have about like 10 minutes until we got to wrap up. Unfortunately, I could talk to you. We could talk to you for a long time. 10 hours. 10, 20 hours. How many many interviews did you end up going on? I did 15 interviews in the diagnostic radiology side. Okay. I did about eight on the preliminary side. Okay. Okay. So, um, I think that um, 15 was a good number to hit. I think that um, I'd spoken with our advisor and that was the area which I could start turning down programs where I knew I wasn't interested. Right. Mm-hmm. And now here we are. We matched. Here. Well, I have a question. How do you rank those? Like, how do you, because I know you can do multiple kinds of different permutations of yeah. ranks. So, so you have what's called a primary list and then um, the, suppl- the supplementary is secondary. Okay. So on your primary list, um, which for you would, was your diagnostic radiology. Which is the diagnostic okay. radiology. You can choose to rank also preliminary programs on the primary list as well. I chose not to. And I know that there's – maybe that's a little bit controversial. I'm not sure if um, – Oh, is that like risky because if in case you don't match to diagnostic rad, rads, you at least fell to some prelim spot and So then you're, you're in matched. a prelim spot and then okay. you have to – um, try to find either an advanced position um, during the SOAP or you have to reapply the following year. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's stressful. I think that my approach was that if um, if I didn't match in diagnostic radiology on my primary list, that I would try to um, SOAP into a categorical resident uh, residency. In pediatrics. In, in <laughs> pr- yeah, in probably yeah. pediatrics. And okay. it's probably easier to secure a DR spot a, a diagnostic radiology spot, categorical or 
advanced or categorical position and then have to soap into a prelim or TY year than the, than the yeah. vice versa. Exactly. And so after each program that's an advanced position, you can make a, another list of the preliminary years. So it's sort of a sub list if then. So if you match advanced, then it goes into that secondary supplemental list. Okay. Definitely more complicated than just applying I am categorical. categorical I am. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just put the programs in order. Yes, and so for for example, um, you for example, one of the uh, if you had a program, two programs in the same city, and you interviewed with each of their prelims, you might be incentivized to change the order of your supplemental list so that you do your preliminary year in the same place where you're going to be doing your next four years, because it'll help oh, you cultivate okay. those relationships with the residents. But then it'll also um, familiarize yourself with whatever EMR they're using for sure. mm-hmm. and the culture of the hospital. You sort of have a leg up. And so, for example, if there were two programs, A and B, then I would change that order on the supplemental list. Do some applicants uh, choose to do like a prelim or TY just in a location they like to live in for a year just for the experience? And then they'll go prioritize their training for the DR. I think that... Um, not that it matters less, but you know what I mean, right? So, so as I've heard before, um, I think this is the general attitude that um, that is accepted is that it's more important where you train for your radiology, right? Exactly. Rather than your preliminary year, and so um, a lot of applicants prioritize um, having a healthy, you know, lifestyle work balance during with a transitional Schedule year and benefits or location. Some people choose that. Um, for example, I applied to a program in Colorado because I thought it would be really fun. great to be fun to, <laughs> to be, be fun. in Colorado for a year. Yeah, um, you think, and then you're there, and it's, and it's cold. It's cold, and the trees are dead. <laughs> <laughs> At least nah, it's snow. a great place. The, f- the food is fantastic there. So... In so the, you ended up doing you got a what did you get you did a yeah. you have a prelim medicine I have a oh. transitional year transitional year medicine no uh, transitional year just oh sorry transitional year and then, and then diagnostic radiology okay yeah um I'm so excited for you oh me too I'm so happy with with where I matched I think uh, I think uh, the training is going to be outstanding I and, concur and having met a lot of the faculty. Um, on, on an away rotation. I'm really excited. That's so great. You got like a huge sneak peek mm-hmm. to your future. Well, they got a sneak and peek to their future. They got lucky. And so for maybe that's something I didn't mention before, but um, I think especially coming from a school that um, like Nova um, rotate, I think that it would be great for students doing diagnostic radiology to do an away, at least one away rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, Not required, but something that would be of value i think for specialties like diagnostic radiology urology orthopedics plastics the more competitive ones i think you're absolutely right i think you got to get out there and show them who you are because our school the do program very well known but our school not very much so so you're right about that for mitch and i we didn't have to do a ways we're doing internal medicine i think I think um, even a ways in internal medicine or other any specialty really. I think maybe if your school is 
um, I'm not even talking about our school, but let's say your school is affiliated with community hospitals and you really want to go see what like a big academic yeah. center is like, go do it in a way. It's, yeah. you know, it's yeah. not free, but it's, it's essentially free to, to go have that experience for a month. Or if you go to medical school at a huge university program and you want to go see what community medicine is like, go do it in a way at that. Yep. Um, I think it's a good opportunity to get that experience. I agree. I totally agree. And um, I think building that good habit for me of trying to find value um, during my clerkships sort of translated in, in radiology uh, rotations, it can sometimes be considered more of a spectator sport. And, um, and so if you're a student that's interested in diagnostic radiology as a field, it's really tough to try to stand out. For sure. And um, my, I think my approach was to, um, I tried to get involved with as much research with attendings and residents as possible. Um, I always had my laptop or phone on me to know the patient that was being read. Um, for example, more complex MRIs or um, in musculoskeletal, you can read about maybe mechanism of the fall. And that can help you identify additional injuries or clue the resident into looking at specific areas. And so if you can find a way to somehow facilitate reading um, to be an easier process. And um, another thing about diagnostic radiology that maybe uh, as a student is learning when to maybe chime in and when to be quiet. Um, and I think that's kind of tough. That's a tough skill to learn. Because you have, you're going to have so many questions, um, but the, knowing when to ask those questions, especially when um, there's a work, there's a flow to the day and, and there's so much volume of imaging. You don't want to impede that resident from their learning process. You want to, if you can facilitate for them for, that, for as much as possible, then they're going to also try to facilitate your learning most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so um, for me, I found the way of adding value by reading about the patient or by pulling up articles, you know, about specific kinds of imaging findings. And so, um, yeah, I think that was really helpful. For sure. Wise words. I think in this last few minutes before we have to wrap up, if you could just not necessarily elaborate on, but just like list the different um, possibilities or career possibilities and paths you can do off of a, you know, after your DR training, uh, and then maybe like what you're interested in doing at this point, um, and then maybe we can close out. Yeah, so uh, within DR training, um, there every specialty of medicine also sort of has an area of radiology which touches that. And so uh, if you're interested in neuro, you can go into fellowship in, in neuro. If you're interested in body imaging, you can do that. And so um, radiology is almost just as open as internal medicine from a certain point of view. Um, I think that uh, within the scope of you can go either in a private practice or into an academic type of career. Um, and then also there's hybrid models, which are more community-based and sort of incorporate a private practice as well as um, some of the academic aspects as well. Um, I think that for me, uh, at this stage in my career in medicine, I'm interested in, I think, um, uh, maybe an academic practice. Um, however, I know that, you know, I went into medical school thinking that I might be in pediatrics or neurology, and now I'm applying in radiology because I was open to um, open to finding, you know, passion, my passion. And so uh, my approach to residency is going to be to continue to keep an open mind and continue trying to take those 
best opportunities. I think that's great advice. Bring, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was I thought I was going to do pediatrics as well when I started. So no hate for peds. The I amount of it. people in our classes, our class who switched from their initial impression is pretty high. Yep. And I know that people say that. And then you enter medical school, even if like I had an open mind, I would say, even though I was pretty sure I was going to do emergency medicine and didn't do it. And I think you really got to believe that, that most people do switch or uh, you, you, there's a very good chance you might switch. Speaking of internal uh, emergency medicine, they did not have a great match here. They had a record high number of unmatched positions, which is surprising. Well, not surprising considering that cool article you wrote for that journal that one time about <clears throat> the... the uh, there's a the, lot of residency positions. The, okay, there's a, more positions than there are jobs. And that's a whole nother podcast. <clears throat> but I think that, um, you know, in, in the field of emergency medicine can continue to grow. And um, I think it's a lot of opportunity for, for those people. Yeah. I think the skill you get doing ER or emergency medicine is, is unlike any other. And you're right. There's opportunities in a lot of different and, ways. And I, even though like emergency medicine, at least in the past year, has been the brunt of a lot of pessimism, yeah. um, I think that every field will ebb and flow, and we don't know. Like nobody, no one knows what it's going to look like in five, ten years. And even anesthesiology, like people have been dooming, glooming anesthesia for the past 20 years from what I've heard from talking to many of them. And it's, it's peaking right now. Like they're thriving as far as their job market and stuff. So... I would uh, say EM doctors are the most have the most utility and are probably the most useful doctors to society. I concur. Yeah, because <laughs> when everything you know shuts down and there's some sort of pandemic or the world ends, who's going to be able to help you? Chase the beast. An EM doctor. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's no power, how's he going to read your image? That's a good point. Do you ever thought about that? Well, I think that um, <laughs> I've had a great time <laughs> on your podcast today. <clears throat> Thank you for coming, Chase. We really um, enjoyed having you. I was yeah. concerned that any floaties, but I think uh, I made like it through. Like little floaties around your arms? Yeah, yeah. Why? Because you thought you, you would sink? Because you either sink or swim, so yeah? I was afraid I might. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it was really fun talking to you. Um, oh, one thing we didn't get to talk about, but real brief, uh, Chase worked at Quiznos, and... Um, I like Quiznos. I'm a fan. I thought that their French dip sandwiches were pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of the carbonara sandwich. Oh, that's a good I one. That back in the day. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah, and, you know, sh uh, I think shout out to my first job in Quiznos. Shout out Quiznos. Shout out Quiznos. Um, do they still exist? They do. If, okay. And <laughs> their owner was so supportive of me, I think, during my first years of college and just letting me, you know, craft my schedule and I think it helped me a lot because um, it's a service industry and yeah. so um, in a large part of radiology is about service you know to other attending and physicians as well and so uh, taught me about that shout or, out Quiznos man shout out Quiznos shout out radiology shout out Dr. Banks shout out Dr. Banks shout out Chase LaBeast thanks thank for you be for being here yeah thanks yeah. man it was really fun it was great getting to know you more and hopefully this was useful to any aspiring radiology applicants? Having sitting here, would you recommend your classmates come on the Sink or Swim podcast? Yes. Okay. <laughs> he shook his head no and said yes. 
Don't believe him. We don't have him hostage. Yeah. It's been fun. Thank, Thank you, you man. for being here. Thank you, guys. I had a great time. Until next time, we are going to try. Well, we have already planned uh, some other students in our class to discuss <clears throat> their journey to their other very specialties. And <clears throat> it's going to be really fun. Excuse me. The smoking is catching up to me. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll have more people on, more faculty. We're going to turn out a bunch of episodes um, now that we're free. And then at some point, we're going to have to do the transition where we... We leave and the new M1, the M1s come in and take over for us. We're out of here. Will they be as cool? Probably cooler. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Play out music. Da-na-na-na-na. Play out music. Strap on your floaties. You're not going to sink. You will swim like Chase LaBee.